Hey, listeners, just a reminder that the history of everything sex is for mature audiences, so listen with discretion. And don't forget, we're ready for suggestions, ideas, stories, whatever you want to tell us. Just email us at thehistoryofsexpod at gmail.com. Thanks! All right. Uh, okay. You want to say you're welcome? Yep. Welcome to the history of everything. Six. Amazing. Thank you. I'm Melinda. I'm Terry. And today's not quite as fun as some of our episodes, but uh, I'm hoping it's still interesting. Okay. All I'll right. try to tone it down. Kind of a little bit of a dun-dun-dun. <clears throat> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Let's just jump right in. Bring it. Today we're talking about... Diethyl stilbestrol. Oh, I know her. DES. I don't know what that is. Well, you are going to find okay. out. Okay. Now, I will only be calling it DES for the most part because I can't say diethyl stilbestrol very well without mm. feeling like I'm saying it wrong. Okay. Um, so, you've never heard of DES? Never. Okay. Well, I was actually very surprised to realize that DES was never something learned about in my women's health education because uh-huh. I think it should have been but so let's just get into it and so everyone knows what the heck we're even talking about so start by traveling back in time to october 13th of 1899 in liverpool england oh okay always wanted to go let's go to liverpool (laughs) you do that and i'll just (laughs) yeah so this is when edward charles dodds was born to jane and ralph dodds jane came from a wealthy family old money as Mm -hmm. they say And Ralph, on the other hand, was a less-than-stellar shoe salesman who was often being bailed out by his in-laws. The family moved a lot when Charles was young, eventually settling in Middlesex, (laughs) where Charles attended Harrow School for Boys. Okay. He excelled academically and was even praised for his acting skills when he played the part of Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. Which I had to look it up because I'm yeah. like, I know what bottom means to me. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it was a person. It was a person just named Bottom. Right, exactly. Maybe they said Bottom. I'm sure that that's exactly. I don't know why he wasn't named Bum. Bum. Because they call him your bum? Yeah. yeah. Arse. <laughs> <laughs> so Charles graduated at 17 years old and he set off for medical school at Middlesex Hospital. In 1917, he fought in World War I until he was struck with a severe case of pneumonia and came home. In 1919, he passed his preliminary med exams and started working as an assistant to Swale Vincent, Mm -hmm. Swale, who researched, quote, organs involved in internal secretions, which would later be called hormones. Okay. So I'll nutshell the next part. He studied chemicals that caused cancer for a while. He became a licensed physician. He saved the life of the king of the UK. He married Constance and had a son named Ralph after his dad. And by 1927, scientists were aware of estrogen and some of its functions. And Charles focused his years of research on whether synthetic estrogen could cause the same results as natural estrogen. Hmm. So we're getting to the DES thing. Yeah. So that was just a little, got to be a history lesson. Yeah. Start at the beginning. So in early 1938, a chemist in Charles's lab named Leon Goldberg formulated 
DES. This synthetic estrogen made in powder form was three times more powerful than natural estrogen. And because Charles and company worked in a government funded lab in England, law dictated that their findings could not be patented. Hmm. That's something. That is something. I guess nobody can make money personally off of something that was funded by the people. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the compound, which could be manufactured for about $2 a gram, was featured in a magazine called Nature on February 15, 1938. That's my birthday. Exactly. 1938. <laughs> <laughs> Including its formula. Okay. And within months, pharmaceutical companies all around the world started manufacturing it. They were hungry. They were hungry. This was huh? going to make them... Many monies. Okay. In 1939, England's Medical Research Council approved the use of DES for women who did not have a period or had painful periods and for bothersome menopausal symptoms. Okay. I have a question. Yes. Is this a question that they ask on, his, on like, people's history? Like, did your mom we did. take... We don't anymore. Okay, okay. But, okay. yeah, up until recently... <laughs> It was on there. It was a question, right? And did I don't know if anybody asked people because I think they were like, we don't even know what that is. Right. Yeah. Which it, I it, knew it, what it was, uh-huh. but I just, we never encountered anyone who's, who knew of their mom taking it. Okay. So it's just kind of like we just stopped asking. Okay. All right. Yes. So that's all I know. I know that it's, exactly. a, it's a question that was on yes, history forms back in the day. Exactly. Okay. So soon after, in 1941, the U.S. FDA approved DES as a treatment for menopausal symptoms to stop lactation, and for vaginitis. Oh. Also in 1941, the University of Chicago's Dr. Huggins and Hodges, that's two doctors. Huggins and Hodges. Exactly. Sounds like Huck a... Hug, hug, hug. Sounds like a, a detective uh, duo. Welcome, Huggins Hug and Huggins Hodges. and Hodges. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. Huggins and Hodges. Huggins and Hodges. They used DES to successfully treat prostate cancer. Oh. In fact, Huggins later won a Nobel Prize for his work. So, yeah, sounds like DES is a great thing, right? It sounds yeah. like it. Meanwhile, back in the lab, mm-hmm. Charles was beside himself. He had noticed that the men in his lab that were working with the DES had developed breasts. Oh, my. And theorized that this may increase the risk of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Through his research from 1939 to 1941, Charles showed that DES caused mammary cancer in male and female mice and that it could cause the termination or prevention of pregnancies. Okay, so the people, kind of like the iodine girls, uh, it, you know, they're it's just... iodine. Isn't it iodine? Uranium. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's okay, I called them the glowy girls, I think. Glowy <laughs> girls. So, yeah. So, kind of like the thing where the uranium girls, how they came in contact with this substance and then it affected them so probably in the labs these men handling I, I mean it's estrogen and it's three times more powerful than natural estrogen so right right absolutely right. yeah wow they're becoming trans and they're not even meaning they're not even to. trying to yeah okay. uh so despite his findings and his insistence that des was not safe for use in humans especially not in the uber-sensitive female reproductive system, as he called it. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't say uber-sensitive, but I put yeah, that in there. Yeah. DES was still prescribed all over the world under more than 200 names, 
like Esterol, Dibestrol, Still Cure, Still Best, and Still Betten by many pharmaceutical companies, including Eli Lilly. Okay. Quality Pharmaceuticals, which is K W A L I T Y. Quality. Really? Dumb. Yeah. And Royal Pharmacy, which is an England thing. Okay. Initially, it was used to treat acne, prevent aging, stop hot flushes, as birth control, as emergency contraception, all without ever being proven safe for human use. Yikes. It was also used to stop the growth of already tall young girls. What? Yeah, and I don't know why that works. I'm going to have to look into that. But So when people would say, that's going to stunt your growth, they were doing that on purpose. Exactly. Wow. Enter Olive Smith, a biochemist who, along with her gynecologist husband, worked at the Free Hospital for Women in Boston, Massachusetts. Olive worked in the Fearing Research Lab, a little bit of a foreshadowing there, Okay. where she researched how hormones affected pregnancy. In 1936, Olive had observed that pregnant women had a higher level of estrogen in their urine. She knew that estrogen stimulated the production of progesterone, and progesterone is needed to maintain a pregnancy. She was able to show that deficient amounts of progesterone in pregnant women could and did lead to pregnancy complications, such as high blood pressure, fetal death, premature delivery, and miscarriage, which now a lot of women get progesterone shots during pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, okay, we're kind of on the right track. Okay. So Olive theorized that giving women at risk for these pregnancy complications, DES, would help them produce more progesterone, which would then lead to healthier pregnancies with less complications. So it's one thing to have a theory. It's another thing to just act on it and say it's the truth. So Olive did two trials. In the first, she gave DES to 219 women who experienced bleeding between weeks 6 and 21 of their pregnancies. Prior, a 1944 study had shown that with no treatment, only 40% of pregnant women with early bleeding ended up with a healthy baby. So four out of 10. For all of subjects on DES, 72% had a healthy outcome. Okay. Seems impressive. Yeah. Her second study was done on 272 women with a history of complications such as diabetes or high blood pressure in pregnancy, infertility, miscarriage, stillbirth, or premature delivery. Hmm. Of these women, 78% had a healthy full-term baby after using DES. So looking positive, looking bright. A study from 1938 had shown that women who had a history of two miscarriages had a 62% chance of carrying a pregnancy to term, while a history of three miscarriages only led to a healthy outcome 27% of the time. Olive reported that with DES usage, 87% of her patients who had had three miscarriages had healthy babies. Okay. So, sounds like a wonder drug. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Olive published her findings in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology in 1948. She wrote that there were no increased risks with DES use as the amount given was not more than a woman would normally produce in pregnancy. She also theorized that if DES helped high-risk women achieve healthy pregnancies, it could be used by all pregnant patients to prevent complications, including miscarriage. Oh. 
Yeah. She's like, this is every pregnant one. It's like a prenatal vitamin. Right. You're pregnant. You should take this. You should take it. As exactly. a preventative. She published two more studies in 1949, which increased the number of DES prescriptions in the U.S. They shot up, especially in the middle to upper class women who could more easily afford it. Right. And were going to doctors who would prescribe it, basically. Mm-hmm. So... It was in the 50s that DES was found to help curb excessive height in girls, and in the 60s, DES was found to help treat breast cancer in postmenopausal women. Mm. So again, wonder drug. Right. This is the One best thing think. that ever happened to anybody. Meanwhile, other researchers were finding contrasting results. In 1953, Dr. Diekman at the University of Chicago performed the first controlled randomized double blind study that's the way every research study should be done right (laughs) controlled meaning that some participants are getting the med and some are getting placebo right and randomized meaning the researcher doesn't choose who gets what right it's very random Uh double blind meaning neither the researcher or the participants neither of them know Who's getting what? Exactly right. Right. Okay. right. So you can't say, oh, I think I feel better because mm-hmm. you know you're getting the medicine or whatever. So, because there's the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. So, Diekman found that DES did not decrease the risk of miscarriage. And in fact, it slightly increased the risk. Mm. Drug companies were quick to discredit this study and doctors trusted the pharmaceutical reps who visited them. Mm. Pharmaceutical reps who brought them lunch, gave yep. them free pens and Mm -hmm. said keep prescribing it Mm -hmm. there's only one study that wasn't great and it said it might be dangerous but everything else shows us that it's a wonder drug right so des was also being used by farmers to fatten up their cattle and grow bigger chickens it was approved by the fda in 1954 for these uses however the fda turned around and banned the use of it in chickens just five years later after DES was found to cause breast growth in men who ate the chicken. Oh, okay. And that's something. Yeah. I just want the KFC. Yeah. I got boobs. <laughs> the farmers fought the ban in courts, and it wasn't until 1966 that it finally stopped being used in poultry. Several years later, after that, it was finally banned from being used in cows. Okay. So we can use it in pregnant women who are growing offspring inside right. their person. Yeah. Hmm. So, it's estimated that about 4 million pregnant women in the U.S. were prescribed DES. Most were given the dose that Olive Smith had come up with in 1948. Starting in pregnancy week number 6, you take 5 milligrams a day. You increase the dose by 5 milligrams every 2 weeks until the 15th week of pregnancy. After that, increase by 5 milligrams every week until the 35th week when you should be at 125 milligrams a day which, by the way, is a great size amount of the medication. Wow. Right. At the end of the 35th week, the DES would be stopped. The DES was originally given by injection, but later it did come in a pill form. Mm -hmm. Over 10 million women worldwide are thought to have used DES between 1938 and 1971. Hmm. So, what happened in 1971? Right. Well... That was when Dr. Arthur Herbst published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine detailing how he and his colleague, Dr. Scully, 
had diagnosed a rare vaginal cancer in eight young females. Clear cell carcinoma, when found, generally only affected postmenopausal women. Dr. Herbst and Scully had found the cancer in eight girls, all in Massachusetts General Hospital. The doctors were perplexed. One mom, Penny Stone, whose 17-year-old daughter Sheila had been diagnosed with clear cell adenocarcinoma in Syracuse, New York, kept telling her daughter's doctors, Dr. Doolittle and Dr. Michael Jordan, oh my. that the cancer must be related to the DES that she took in pregnancy. And the doctors continually dismissed her. But eventually, she wore Dr. Jordan down, and he reached out to Dr. Herbst at Mass General. And after asking all the mothers of his young cancer patients about DES use, he found that seven of the eight girls had been exposed to DES in utero. When the connection was made, Dr. Herbst personally called Penny to thank her for making the connection. Wow. Yeah. So when the article appeared in the April 22, 1971 issue, things suddenly changed, but not as dramatically as one would hope. Instead of banning the use of DES during pregnancy, a drug bulletin was issued, warning doctors not to use DES in pregnant patients. While most doctors did take this seriously and stopped prescribing it, others did not for some reason. By 1972, 91 girls aged 8 to 25 had been diagnosed with clear cell adenocarcinoma. 91. That's a lot. By 1981, about 500 young ladies aged 7 to 30 mm. had been found to have <clears throat> cancer of the vagina or cervix. Jeez. In 1975, the National Cancer Institute started a government-funded study, the DES Adenosis Project, to assess the effects of DES on the children of women who used DES while pregnant. Mm-hmm. In 1977, the California Health Department sent out leaflets to every doctor in California describing the risks of DES, and DES Action was formed to spread awareness. And here are some highlights in the years that followed. In 1979, 25-year-old cancer survivor Joyce Bickler won a case against Eli Lilly and was awarded a half million dollars. This was just one of many, many lawsuits to come. Around this time, DES was all over the news. An episode of The Lou Grant Show in 1980 called Inheritance dealt with a DES storyline. Mm-hmm. And the next year, the first PSA about DES was aired on TV and radio, and it was narrated by Linda Kelsey of The Lou Grant Show, hmm. who didn't have a connection herself to DES, mm-hmm. but... She just happened to be the person who did the PSA. Okay. In 1983, 29 states participated in National DES Awareness Week in April. In 1985, Ronald Reagan made April 21st through 27th National DES Awareness Week for the whole country. In 1986, Ohio's health department finally ran a public education program on DES. Better late than never. Mm-hmm. In 1996, Eli Lilly funded an award banquet organized by the Society for the Advancement of Women's Health Research. DES Action protested the event, Hmm. as Eli Lilly was considered 
public enemy number one due to them having been the largest distributor of DES, presumably without assuring that the drug was safe for users. The awards night honorees, Senator Olympia Snow and representatives Pat Schroeder and Henry Wexman publicly declined the awards prior to the banquet. Hmm. They said, no, thank you. Right. Finally, finally, in the year 2000, the FDA withdrew approval of DES in humans. Gosh. In 2000. A lot of years. As late as 2012 and 2013, drunk. Drunk? 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 Drug companies were being sued and ordered to compensate those affected by DES exposure. Wow. Yeah. So now I know why they asked that question exactly. on the history. So now, the DES daughters, as they've come to be known, have faced many problems. DES was eventually found to be what's called an endocrine disruptor, which affects a variety of reproductive functions mm-hmm. and structures. Mm-hmm. By following the DES daughters over the years, researchers have found the following. 50% of the girls treated with DES for being too tall later suffered from infertility. 50%. That's, that's, those are not good odds. crazy. Those who used DES had an, in, like the women who used the DES, had an increased incidence of arthritis, asthma, and lupus. No causal link has been found, mm-hmm. so it's kind of one of those, it could just be coincidence. Yeah. But there was an increase. And here are the chances of DES daughters developing the following health problems compared to those not exposed to DES. This is going to blow your mind. Okay. So, infertility. If you were exposed, you have a 33% chance of infertility. If you are not exposed, you have a 15% chance of infertility. Okay. Just naturally. Right, Okay. For miscarriage, if you were exposed, you have a 50% chance of having a miscarriage, whereas others have a 38% chance. Mm-hmm. Preterm delivery, if you were exposed, you have a 53% chance of a preterm delivery, whereas others have a 17% chance. Wow. Um, to suffer a loss in your second trimester, if you were exposed, you have a 16.4% compared to 1.7. Whoa. So, very rare in the normal population. Yeah. Ectopic pregnancy for exposed people, 14.6% versus 2.9% mm. in the non-exposed. <clears throat> Preeclampsia, 26% for the DES daughters, 13% for others. Mm-hmm. Stillbirth, which is just horrible. For exposed, you have an 8.9% chance of having a stillbirth whereas others have a 2.6%. Mm. For early menopause, if you were exposed to DES in utero, you have a 5.1% chance of early menopause. Others have a 1.7%. Mm-hmm. Some people might be like, well, that's okay, but still. Right. Um, With everything else. Right. Grade it. 2 or higher sin. So as we know, an abnormal pap smear yeah. that leads to lots more testing, mm-hmm. potentially eventually maybe a hysterectomy whatever mm-hmm. des exposure makes your chances 6.9% whereas others their chance is 3.4%. Okay. So twice as much. Yeah. And then breast <coughs> cancer at age greater than or equal to 40 years old, those exposed have a 3.9% and those not exposed have a 2.2% okay. chance. 
So those are all at least double and sometimes quadruple. A lot more than that, yeah. 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 Nope. And then one last statistic, DES daughters are 80% more likely to develop endometriosis. Huh. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big number. It is a big number. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not just, oh, no. maybe it's bad luck. Right, right, no, right. that's a big deal. Now, at this point, we are starting to see studies on DES granddaughters and grandsons. Uh-huh. So one French study showed there is no increased incidence of reproductive organ abnormalities in the granddaughters. However, more hypospadias are seen in the grandsons. Hypospadias is when the hole on the end of the penis that they, that, you know, their urethra, yeah. like their urethral opening, is not either where it's supposed to be or it's not in the shape it's supposed to be. So instead of like round, it could be like a slit. Or instead of being at the end of the penis, it could be like on the underside of the head of the penis. Okay, okay. And it can be fixed, but it's yeah. surgery yeah. to be fixed. I happen to know that a lot of times what they'll do is they'll wait till the child's a little bit older and then they'll do the circumcision and use that skin from the circumcision to, to reconstruct, help reconstruct the urethra. So it's something that you would know right away? Yes. Obviously, okay. Yep, yep, it's seen pretty much right, right there at birth. Okay. And for both male and female grandchildren, there's an increase in esophageal atresia, which is a birth defect <clears throat> where the top of the esophagus is not connected to the bottom part, which makes it impossible for food to travel from the mouth to the stomach, and usually, multiple surgeries are used to repair this, mm. which is crazy. I, that, that seems, <clears throat> I can't put my mind around how those two things could be connected. Like right, a whole bunch of estrogen. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But apparently, yeah. Wow. D-E-S. D-E-S. Don't even yeah. start. <laughs> Don't <laughs> even swallow it. Right. Yeah, so that's DES. That is interesting. Thank you for that lesson. Absolutely. I didn't know about DES. And I think that for me the most interesting part was like I had kind of heard of it like in passing. But again, I'm so shocked that when I was, you know, in school to be a women's health nurse practitioner, uh-huh. I don't remember it ever being a subject that we discussed. And you think that, you think that it would, because clearly... Just from the the times the the time frame of things, um, our moms didn't take it. Most likely, did not. Most take likely, it. correct. Right? right. So it would have been, you know, people just slightly older than us. Right. That were, you know, affected by it. Because my sister was born in nineteen seventy. Okay. So I mean, there was the potential, there was that, potential. that my mom could right, have been right. given. But it. it makes sense how many people that. I, I think that we both know probably that, I mean, even something like the endometriosis part, like so many of my friends' moms had endometriosis. Now, yes. whether they really had it or not, right? or they just knew of symptoms, so they assumed they have it, yep. you know what I mean? Whether it was a, a diagnosis kind of thing. So yeah. all these things just kind of make, right. make sense. But if you're, you know, working in women's health, you would think that they want to prepare you to be coming across these types yeah. of things. At least, at least being aware yeah. that it's yeah, something yeah. that could, you know, potentially be important. 
Yeah. You know, to ask them. Right. Do you know if your mother or even your grandmother took DES at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I'm, I also find it fascinating how many women I say, well, how old was your mom when she went through menopause? I don't know. She had a hysterectomy. Everybody must have had oh, a hysterectomy. Oh, okay. In, those, in whatever little time frame that was. Obviously, that's unrelated, I assume, to DES. But, yeah. you know, it's like everybody had a hysterectomy. I guess you just got to a certain age and they're like, and they just say, let's just do out. a hysterectomy. Right. You know, you're having this problem, that problem, hysterectomy. Yeah, just take it out. Yeah, which now you can't get a hysterectomy if you it's, it's, it's not hard it's, for it. It's not easy to exactly. get a hysterectomy. Exactly. And you've got to, unfortunately, go through the yeah abnormal paps and so all I, that kind of stuff. A little there. bit, it kind of, we've mentioned before in a different episode about how some people don't trust medication. Mm-hmm. They don't trust the pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you have a new vaccine? I, I'm going to wait on that. I'm going to see it, how it everybody... It does make sense. And you, you really, truly don't know. Because even if you study something for a couple of years and say it's safe, this is a perfect example. Perfect example of, yeah. Years, next generation. Look, we found this. Look. Yep. We found this great thing. Let's give it some time. Right, right. You know. And then a generation later, you're like, oops. Right. Yeah. So. You got a so bunch that's of lab rats walking around with boobs. <laughs> exactly. Like a cigar hanging out of their mouth. What happened here? <laughs> What'd you give me? <laughs> Why have my balls shrunk? <laughs> right. Um, Why am I so pissed all the time? <laughs> I was a happy male rat. Now I have all these emotions. I gotta smoke cigars. <laughs> so that's DES. DES. Yeah. Wow. So, Thank if you, you come upon it, don't touch it. Don't touch it. No touch don't it. even study it. Right. Don't even sweat it. Don't. Don't. Ever swallow it. Don't. Just don't. Right. All right. Cool. Well, thank you. All right. Well, that's it for today, then, and we'll see you next week. Later, tater. <laughs>